Thank you, Pastor Reagan and Joy, uh, for this opportunity. It means the world to me. Thank you so much. Um, we met uh, Pastor Reagan and Joy um, in a very nondescript, unusual uh, place in our life. Um, I stand here as a, w with a deeply grateful heart today, deeply grateful. Um, we got a call from a doctor in the fall of last year. And before we begin, thanks for holding that, by the way, on that 40 minutes. I appreciate you giving me a head start. <laughs> and it's the call you never want. It's the call you never want. And we were informed uh, that my wife had cancer. And uh, we began to pray, and your pastor uh, was kind enough, he and his wife were kind enough to, to pastor us and walk us through that journey. And um, my wife, uh, for the sake of time this morning, has been through two uh, very aggressive surgeries, but I have great news to bring. She is cancer-free today. And she is the backbone of the operation, believe it, at the Corey House. Go ahead and throw that picture up if you don't mind. Let's, let's take a look. That's the crew at our latest wedding. It seems like we're marrying them off about once every six months now. And all of these people wound up showing up at our house. I think we needed some cartoons or stick figures or something to tell us why this was continuing to happen. All of these children keep showing up at our house. Uh, four of them are biological. One of them we adopted here, Ashley on the right, the tall one. Um, he just got married to his beautiful wife, Cameron. We have four grandchildren that are here and two that are on the way. So it's busy time at the Corey house, and we are fired up about it. We are fired up about it. It's a good time. These little guys, man, they're, they're something else. I, I, you hear people tell you about what being a grandparent's like. Take that, multiply it times 10, and maybe that's it. It is an epic experience. So the only issue that I have uh, with Lily going over to the Somers house so much is I've been told that they're Ohio State fans, and I, I don't understand that paganism. I don't. <laughs> they're wonderful friends of ours. Lord, I discipled her for 20 years. Lord, don't let her get twisted up over there. We've been blessed beyond what words uh, could describe. Aren't you thankful for the gift of life today? The gift of life. The Lord echoed that, as a matter of fact. In my preparation for today's message, um, in picking up Samuel, um, it, it, that, that's where my, my, my day uh, kind of came in and slotted, uh, the Lord impressed these three words deeply in my heart before I began and during my study. And they were this, encourage my people. He's been very clear about that. And so from the beginning of the, uh, the onset of, a, of, uh, of my study, that has been somewhat of a text. And what a, what a joy it is for us to be together. I love being here. I love looking left to right. Listen, this is what heaven's going to look like. Take a look around. If you think that, that your church looking like you want it to look one way, 
No, 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 no. My Bible tells me that there's going to be every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every creed, every everything. We're all going to be there, and we're all going to be singing holy, holy, holy forever and forever, and I can't wait. I don't want to go before he wants me, but I can't wait. So let's talk about context of the passage for, for just a minute. The book of Judges. We know that the judges ruled for a, roughly 400 years. We're just going to use that as a, as a, a, a medium today. But roughly 400 years. Samuel was the last judge. So we're going to jump in, and, and I want you to fall in love with this text this morning. I really do, as much as I fell in love with it. First Samuel, okay? Samuel was a special man of God. He was a prophet. He was uh, about 1,100 years prior to the birth of Jesus. So let's give you the timeline. We've got the judges, 400 years. Samuel picks up toward the end of that. He was about 1,500 years from the flood, from Noah, okay? So we've got flood, 1,500 years. Samuel, 1,100 years. Jesus, you tracking? Kind of right in the middle there, all right? So Samuel was, was uh, designed by God to come in during a very, uh, we'll say, tumultuous time. He had quite a task. And we're going to dig into this, and I just absolutely can't wait. His task was this, to transition the nation of Israel from a theocracy, which was a government by God, over to a monarchy, which was a government by kings. Can you imagine how tricky that would be? The people of the people of God were like, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And God said, okay, I'll give you one. And he did, and we're going to get into that. But I want to begin, and we're going to take this passage of Scripture. By the way, I've been told by John Hayes, who's a recovering Baptist, <laughs> that I need to make sure to have him out on time so he can beat his buddies to Golden Corral. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. So in, the, in uh, 1 Samuel, verse 1, we're going to start with his parents. We're going to bring him up from, from childhood. And uh, we're going we're to let you know right out of the gate that the life, the very birth and life of Samuel was a miracle in and of itself. Elkanah was Samuel's dad. And Hannah was Samuel, Samuel's mother. Here we go. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship. This is Elkanah and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. So during the Passover, yearly, they would make the trek. It's about 15 miles from where they live, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and, and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Pay attention. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, Though the Lord had done what? Had closed her womb. And her rival used to poke, her, poke at her and, and provoke her grievously, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Can you imagine on the way to Passover and Hannah is just getting drilled by this other woman. This, this lady, she was something else. And I, I'm not going to stop and camp here, but you've been there. You've had those people in your life. It's just, a, it's just a, a thorn in your side. It's a burr in your saddle. And this is who, uh, who, who was giving Hannah a great deal of grief. So it went on year after year. 
As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Like, has he not figured it out yet? Come on, man. We got, we got to be better than that, guys. <laughs> Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? This guy is not the sharpest tack. Guys, I do not recommend saying that in this situation at all. 31 years of marriage, just trust. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Scripture is very, very, very descript as to what the condition was of Miss Hannah at this point. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved. She was completely distraught, obviously, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said, put, put your drink down, put your wine away. And Hannah answered, Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She's at the end of a rope. You can tell. You can tell by the verbiage that's used here. She is, have you ever been there, by the way? I've been there. I've been there. She was at the end of her rope. Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. That's what Eli said. And then she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Isn't it a good thing to be remembered? And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you remove me completely out of the way and speak by the authority and the beauty and the perfection of your word this morning. May you pierce our hearts. May you dive deep into our spirits with truth. May you uh, encourage us today. May your words live forever and ever and ever. And the church said, amen. amen. I've got a little prop uh, that I'd like to use this morning. A little prop. What good grandpa doesn't get his grandkids into a sermon illustration, right? Come on, come on, come on, Tiger. You guys give Noah a big hand. Come on, come on. All right, all right, here's what we're going to say. Give me some of this right here. All right, this is how old, let's step out to the front. This is how old Samuel was when his mom took him, roughly, and dropped him off at the temple. How about that? Can you imagine praying for a son for all of those years and taking him and saying, Eli, here he is. And God made a priest out of Samuel. Isn't that amazing? And uh, we were, uh, he, he was, now this guy right here, 
he's four, and he's in the hundredth percentile of his height and weight. So he's bringing the noise. He's bringing it. And some offensive lineman or defensive lineman, it is a world of hurt, probably from Ohio State, <laughs> later. All right? It's going to be a rough deal for somebody. But we were in the, we were in the he, he's old enough to, he, he loves to sing. We were in the golf cart last night in Papa's golf cart riding around the neighborhood. And we were singing, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Right? And he kept singing it at the top of his lungs, and I thought I was going to shout and embarrass all the neighbors. So anyway, this is how old um, Samuel was. Thank you, buddy. Give me five. One more time. Let's go fishing sometime real soon. And uh, I love hearing children sing. I love hearing children, children sing. And he was singing. I was like, Lord, we're going to have church right here in the middle of the neighborhood. So let me just preach here for one second. I want to I settle in and hone in on this. Hannah was broken, completely broken. But don't you know that God has a habit and he specializes in taking things that are broken and making them beautiful? Can I get an amen? He does. He, does, he, he, he specializes in taking our brokenness and doing something incredible with it. it. He does it over and over and over again in scripture, and he did it this time too. He, he said, you know what? I need somebody who, who's going to be a strong leader. I need somebody who is going to love me and hear from me and, and who's going to have integrity and who's going to have strength and all of the things that I need. And let me, let's just go to a woman who can't even have a baby and let's let her have him. Isn't that how God does things? Isn't it? There are things in your life, I have no doubt. And, and, and there, there are probably spots where there, there are ashes it's either from, from decisions that have been made or think circumstances around. We're not going to sugarcoat anything. Life is hard at times. It is what it is. But let me tell you something today. God specializes in making ashes turn to beauty. He's really good at it. And if you'll dig in and if you'll just take him at his word and go through the valleys and over the mountaintop with him, he will be faithful to you. How about this? How about the fact that Paul who was the chief persecutor of Christians, is literally enjoying the fact that Stephen, a young man full of zest and full of zeal for the, for the newfound gospel, is excited. He was leading people to Christ. And, and the Bible says that Paul actually looked at the stoning of Stephen and said, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm a, I, I like that, actually. How, how, how in the world do you do that? The Bible says that Paul took delight in seeing, Steve, in, in seeing Stephen stoned to death. But check this pivot out. Here's what God does. He knocks him off of his donkey on the road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? And at the end of the day, he said, Paul, what I actually want you to do is I want you to follow me, quit persecuting my church. I need you to come up, come up right here. I need you to see things a little bit differently. I'm going to take the mess of a life that you've created for yourself, and I'm going to make it something great. And isn't it unbelievable and just like God that Paul somehow winds up planting all the churches that led to this church today? How about that for a plot twist? That's amazing. That's the way God does it. Our Savior didn't have a place to lay his head. Don't ever get stuck in a rut where you feel like you can't get out because the God that you serve can pull you right out really fast. Yeah. 
He can. Place your trust in him. Amen. That's better preaching than I'm getting amens. Before Jesus, we were hopeless, and now we are hope. We are hopeful. Thank the Lord. He is my refuge and my strength. There is nothing that God cannot do. So let's jump back into Samuel. We're going to continue to extract truth out of these passages. Samuel was about three years old, um, and uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There, the Bible says there was no frequent vision. We know from Revelation 3.16 that God does not like lukewarm. He doesn't like it at all. That's exactly where I kind of see Israel during this time period. Pastor and all the speakers who have spoken on the book of Judges will acknowledge that there's the sin cycle, right? It's the sin cycle. They've put it up on the board before uh, multiple times where we, we disobey and then we experience the, the brokenness and the, the, the oppression. And, and then we repent and then we, you just, they, they seem to stay in that cycle. And they're, they're in one of those cycles. But in the meantime, Samuel was being positioned by God. And I've got another little prop real quick. Jump up here. Where's he at, Mr. Brett? Jump up here, buddy. This is one of my buddies. You can run. They got me on a timer. Mr. John's got to go eat. Let's see. All right, so, so this, is, this is my buddy, Buddy Brett. They drove over from, uh, from Atlanta, and uh, he's super special to me. My, my wife and I were um, at his bedside when he was born. Their parents are, are lovely friends of ours. And Samuel was this old when God called him. He was 12. He was 12 years old. So we've gone from little Noah at three, being dropped off at the temple, Eli, uh, Eli uh, uh, ministers to him and, and trains him for nine years, and then he turns 12, and God says, okay, I can talk to you now. You're old enough. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Give Brett a big hand. Can you imagine being 12 years old? And here's how it went. Samuel was asleep. Eli was, was asleep in the, in, in the tent in the tabernacle, middle of the night, and God called Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up, Samuel jumps up, he runs over to Eli. He stands in front of Eli in the middle of the night, and Eli's like, what are you doing? Have you ever, you, anybody got kids here? You got children? Have they ever walked up to, your, to, the, to the entrance of your door at about midnight when you've been asleep since 10.30? and just leaned in the opening of the door like this? Have they done it? And, and you see their silhouette, and you're sleeping until a noise comes or until they twitch something enough to see if they can get your attention. You'll always be a pastor's in, in, a, in a reference. You'll always be in a sermon reference. I love y'all, but... And you start reaching for weapons... Because somehow you're popped out of your sleep and there's this silhouette that you do not recognize in your house standing in your doorframe. He did that to, to Eli three times. God called him three times and then Eli figured it out and said, this is what I need you to do, Samuel. I need you to go back. I need you to get in your bed. I need you to lay down. And if God calls you again, I need you to sit up and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back and he, he, he lays down and the Bible says, listen to this, I love this. God came and stood there. 
He stood there. He stood there. Specifically, those words. And he said, Samuel, Samuel. And little 12-year-old Samuel sat up and said, Here I am. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God was being, God was positioning him. First Samuel 3, Samuel was being positioned by God and Samuel grew and as the Lord was with him, let none of his words fall to the ground. And the Lord was with him and all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, all of the tribes knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of God. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Israel is in one of these sin, sin cycles and the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen. Can you imagine? The Philistines, the arch rivals of the people of God, have come and they've taken, they've taken the Ark of the Covenant and they've taken it back to, back to their home. So th if this gives you any idea of why Samuel was around, it was a slow-moving train wreck. And God knew that something had to be done. And so he brought Samuel into the midst of that. Midst of that. 1 Samuel 7 Samuel said to all of the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with what? All of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asheroth, and they served the Lord only. Let me ask you a question. Why, why do you think that people choose not to follow the Lord? I bet you, 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 you've probably asked yourself that. I've asked myself that millions of times. And here's the answer. Options. Options. Sin, of course. But here's the deal. The world will offer you options. The world will offer you every kind of possible option. Young people, listen to me for a second. Dial in. I heard you guys had a great camp. The world will offer you every possible option and every available resource that you need to do anything but follow Jesus with all of your heart. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Because with God, listen, options are not an option. The world will give you plenty of options, but listen, Jesus said, if you will follow me, you follow me. I'm the option. I'll take you down in the valley. When we get to the valley, we'll sit there and we'll learn a lot because the soil is fertile in, in the valley. And if we go over the mountain, I'll go up there with you and I'll let you praise me. And I might wind up in a fiery furnace with you and I'll be the fourth person in the fire and I'm preaching better than you're responding. But listen, God said he is the option. And praise God, we have a, a, a sanctuary, a place, a refuge that we can run to and be safe. And his name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by, but by him. He's the option. He's the option today. We're going to jump in here in a moment um, and talk about Saul being uh, cho choosing a bad option in this particular case. At our house, at the Corey house, uh, on, on uh, Saturday night, there was no, um, no option other than to set your alarm clock for Sunday morning. That was, that was the option for their entire lives. So you can say, well, well Todd, I, I hear what you're saying, but you, know, you were a pastor, so they had to go. Well, they were teenagers, they were young people. They, they were spending the night, you know, staying up late, watching videos and things like that. 
There was no option. There was no option. When the doors were open, they were there. So I have five children by God's grace today, my wife and I do, and they all serve the Lord. They love Jesus and they love the Lord. Not because I was dad of the year or because we were parents of the year, but because God was faithful and they grew up in the house of the Lord, taking in the, 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 the knowledge and taking in the, the character and the history of God and he's faithful. And that's why. That's why. Because there was no option there was no option. We were going to do it. The people eventually reject Samuel and demand a king. They said, we want a, we want a, a king like all the rest of the people around us. We, we, want, a, we want a king. We're, we're kind of tired from, uh, of hearing from you. And Samuel anoints king, uh, 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 Saul as king, and Saul disobeys the instructions of the Lord. And Now listen, God gave Saul specific instructions. There was a group of people called the Amalekites that were the enemies of Israel. And God gave Saul very specific instructions. He said, I need you to go. And what I need you to do is I need you to defeat these people, defeat um, these armies. Don't bring back a sheep. Don't bring back a goat. Don't bring back anything living. Don't bring back tents, gold, skittles, Swedish fish, nerds, don't bring anything back. Leave it all. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 15. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. Unfortunately here, Saul chose an option, and it cost him his kingdom. He disobeyed. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. God gave specific instruction. He gives us specific instruction. I wish I hit it on the nail, the nail on the head every single time, but I don't. But that doesn't change the fact that God has a way of doing things, and he wants them done specifically the way that he wants them done. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and he has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to, to, to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to, get, to, to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Saul greeted him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. This is where the story shifts, unfortunately for Saul. He's, he, he believed in his heart that he had performed the commandment of the Lord. But partial performance of the commandment of the Lord is disobedience. Delayed or modified obedience is disobedience. It's black and white. There is no gray area. And so Saul comes beepity bopping up through the desert and says, blessed be the Lord. God is good, Samuel, all the time. And Samuel said, no. I can't hear you, 
Saul, because of all the sheep that are bleeding in my ear. I can't hear you because the cattle are lowing and the cows are mooing and they stink and all of this mess is around here that I told you to take care of. And you arbitrarily decided to bring it on your own volition. Let me ask you a question. God spoke to me through this particular passage, this verse, probably more so than anything uh, that I studied. Is there ble- Do I have a bleeding sheep in my ears? Because it's representative of, of sin and disobedience. Is there, is there something in my own life? Do, do, what are the, are the bleeding sheep and the lowing oxen that are in my own head? How do I address that? And, and my question to you is, is there some in yours? It's a fair question. Is there some in yours? Do you have bleeding? And it may not be what was immediate. It may be something that was, that was way in the back, but you can, still, you can still hear it in the distance. Because we haven't gotten to a place yet of sanctification where we are set fully apart, right? I got the bleeding of the sheep here, and what God said is if you'll come toward me and you'll sanctify yourself, you get set apart and you walk toward me, you come toward me, you listen to hear my voice, and before long, after that process of walking with him, we get here and we're standing with Jesus and we're walking with Jesus, and that becomes a faint memory. The grace and the mercy of Jesus in our lives. Thank you. We all need it. So Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So Saul begins going off on this tangent with all of these excuses, and Samuel finally says, Stop! Stop! Stop blaming it on the people! Stop telling me that you obeyed the commandment of the Lord when the sheep are so loud in my ears that I can't even hear what you're saying. Stop making excuses. The church has to be strong. We've got to be strong today. Remember, God God said we were going to get encouraged today. We have got to be strong in the Lord. The darkness outside of these walls is real. And we can't be part-time at what we do and them full-time at what they do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our children are at stake. Our society is at stake. God has called us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. We've got to do it in this house. We've got to do it outside of this house. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Go devote, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and the fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey? Why? Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul speaks up again. Can you believe what he said right here after all this? 
I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. But I have. And the very prophet of God who hears from God Almighty is saying you haven't. Let us never get to a place to where all of the noise and all the racket gets to a place to where we can't clearly understand and define truth and hear the voice of God. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I've devoted all the, all, all the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, and he goes blaming the people again. You see in the text here? You see in the text. But the people took the spoil. And then Samuel says, look, Saul, has the Lord great delight in another bull that's going to be put up on, on an altar and, and burned before me? Or does your obedience matter? He asks him the question. The passage of Scripture is so crystal clear. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. So Saul was taken out. God removed him out of his kingship. It's disobedience. He said, God said, I have to find a way to put another king in place who has, who has my heart and my interests in mind. And so he sends him to anoint David. And this is where we pick up. 1 Samuel 16, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He's at, Jesse's, he's at Jesse's house. He's already made the journey. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, but looks on the outward, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass, and he said, nope, neither the Lord has chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any more boys? Is there anybody else? My dad and I were talking about this the other day. Is there anybody else here? And he goes, yeah, there's one more. I'm sure you've heard the story many times. There's one more. David, he's out in the field tending to the sheep. Surely you wouldn't be interested in him. And the prophet said, incredible line. He says, we'll stand here until you get back with him. Because what we see a lot of times is not what God sees. It's very difficult at times sometimes to discern what he's doing and what he's in the midst of. We have to trust. We have to trust day by day. Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy. Listen to the, to the explanation here. And he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The beautiful part about this is that Samuel is anointing David. And David 
is going to be king as a little boy. And God has a plan that's working that nobody really even had any idea about. Samuel was anointing David, and David would take the throne, and he would be the very bloodline of Jesus the Messiah. Praise God for that. Great decision. Great job with obedience. Sometimes it doesn't look like we want it to look like. Saul, he allowed Saul, he allowed Saul to fail. But he took, he took David and he put him into place. And David was given the benefit of what's called the, the, the Davidic covenant. I can't say that three times fast. The Davidic covenant, where God said, I'm going to establish this throne and it will be a throne forever. It will be a throne forever because my son, Jesus the Messiah, is going to be in, in this bloodline and it will never, ever, ever end. So this is, this is, this is Samuel, probably the high point of Samuel's, of Samuel's life. God always has a good plan in the works, whether you think he does or not. Amen? When you think God has fallen completely asleep at the wheel about what your needs are, remember he is steadily working for those who love and obey him. Romans 8.28 tells us this. We can rest in this. All things work together for good. All things are working together for your good, even when it feels like we're in the ditch. God has a plan working in the background just like this. God knew he was going to call, going to call David. He knew it was coming. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And you might think, I want to encourage you for just a moment here. We're finishing up. You might think, I don't know where you're at. You might think that you're just standing out in the field tending the sheep and nobody's paying attention. You're struggling. You're, you're, you feel stuck. Don't allow the enemy to take up that space in your head. Don't allow it because the God of the universe can pluck you right out of a field and set you up as a king. He can do it. He has not taken his eyes off of you. His eye is on the sparrow. And surely he watches over you. Amen? Praise God. He might be saying, I've anointed you to be that person, to invite that person to church. I've anointed you to help that person. I've anointed you to pray for that person. I can't have, I, I, I can't, I can't have my church not discipling, not discipling people. I may have called you to help disciple children or dis disciple teenagers, disciple young adults. There's an anointing for that. I heard a brother say, I, I, ain't nobody anointed me to be with the disciple teenagers. I, I don't know about that. You'd be surprised what you can do in his strength. As you leave here today, I want you to remember this. Romans 15, or Romans 5 rather, 19 and 20. May I encourage you today. We talked a little bit earlier about the bleeding of sheep and all the noise and all the options that are out once we leave these, these, these doors today. We walk out, we go back to our lives. It's an evil place, right? The, the, the enemy is the prince of the air. Scripture tells us that. There's stuff going on outside of this building. 
sin, its brokenness at an incredible degree. Our society needs Jesus. But let me, let me encourage you today in these final words from Paul. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Listen, I went King James right here because sometimes King James just has it. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So when you leave here, the great news for you is that there is one, there, in one ounce, one drop of blood, there is enough power and delivering and deliverance and, and anointing and ability in that blood to defeat every evil thought, every demon of hell, everything that would come against you in one drop. One drop. And it's not just more. It's not just more grace. It's much more grace. It's much more. Not marginal. Not eking by. Plenty. I'm thankful for the cross. Everything begins and ends with Jesus. I'm telling you. It's about the blood and the power thereof. The gospel is where it begins and where it ends for us as believers. And we've got something to look forward to. Man, do we have something to look forward to because he's not finished yet. He's coming back to grab his church and he's taking them. We're going to be up out of here. And one day, one day, we're going to be rejoicing around the throne and praising him and it's going to look like this room and I can't wait for that to happen. I can't wait for it to happen. He's coming back for his church and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. It gives me hope. we got to have hope. When we leave this building today, hold your head up, straighten up your shoulders, and know that you're redeemed. You're a child of God. And know that where sin abounds, that much more does grace abound. Much. Much. Much more. I might get happy. Listen. There's something about it. There's something about that book and the words thereof. It's the heart of God. Get in it. It'll change your life. If you would, bow your heads. Lord, I love you so much today. I'm so thankful for your sacrifice. I'm so thankful for your truth. Lord, I know you love every person in this building. You know the number of hairs on every head. Intimately, you know us. And I pray today, God, as your word has been spoken, that you would have something in mind for each of us. I humbly ask that you would guide each spirit, each soul that rests in this place right now. That you would speak to us. So the question, the question beckons, is there bleeding in your ears? And it's not a statement of condemnation. It's not a question of condemnation. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save and to seek that which was lost. It's not a question of condemnation, but is there bleeding? 
Do you hear the cows lowing from a distance? And you need to walk away from it. You need to allow the grace of Jesus and the power of God once and for all to separate you from that sin. The Spirit of God speaking to you. If you would, keep your eyes closed. And you hear that in your ears figuratively. And you know that you need to walk away from that same old thing. That same thing that drives a wedge between you and God. Can you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Anybody? Anybody? Yes. I'll, I'll literally all over the room. The great news is that He sent the Holy Spirit to convict us. To draw us. And He sent the power of His blood to forgive us. And He sent His word to sanctify us that we could walk away from our past and walk away and and walk into newness of life I thank you Jesus for doing what you've done Lord you've seen your precious creation here God you've seen those that are saying look I'm willing to walk away today you've seen them so if you would repeat this prayer after me thank you Jesus for your blood As a church, come on, let's pray it together. Lord, I come to you. I ask for your forgiveness. Cleanse my sin. Make me white as snow. Holy Spirit, inhabit my life. Draw me close to you. Sanctify my heart. Call me your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that today? Nothing better. God bless you. Thank you very much.